Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. Oh, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. If you are a video editor or a film editor, can you uh, splice together all of the different oh, what's ups from the last 7,550 episodes? That'd be nice. Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. I'm just a dude out here trying to help people, trying to spread some information about health and optimization for your life. I mean, now, now, of course, now is the time to to be the healthiest possible person you can be. And we have access to all of these techniques, all of these frames of thought, all of these ways of, of eating and exercising and protecting ourselves from our, our environment. And it's so cool to be able to to bring this episode, these episodes to you every single week. Sometimes this week, it's been more like every uh, two a week this month. Uh, I am so excited to bring to you today's guest, Kayla Osterhoff. She goes by BioCurious Kayla on Instagram, and she is a former CDC researcher. Um, she is a, a really, really smart person, and we had a fascinating conversation about uh, personalized biohacking protocols, um, Think the way that she works with her clients. Uh, we talk about neurochemicals, behavior modification. We talk about sugar. We also, for a large part of this uh, of this episode, we talk about females and how women are less um, represented in research. Um, uh, women of childbearing years are are actually underrepresented in in medical studies and in research because of the four phases of their menstrual cycle, which makes them um, hard to be included in these research studies. And for me, uh, that was totally new. I had never heard that before. We talk about the four different phases of the menstrual cycle. And we also talk about uh, in the latter half of the episode, a little bit about how what she's working on now, which is influencing your subconscious mind, changing, literally changing your mind, how you can do that, what are some techniques. Um, she's working on the human operating system, which looks at um, uh, the, uh, the brain as the hardware and the mind as the software. Super cool information. She's uh, she's a wealth of knowledge, and I and I thought it was kind of cool to to have a more female focused episode uh, to sort of offset the previous episode, which was uh, really kind of for the fellas in a large way. Um, if you're if you have a wife or a sister or a mother or people that you work with um, who are women, you're gonna get a lot out of this episode too because uh, it's uh, it's really it's super fascinating. Um, as always, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're still listening now to this intro, which I appreciate, uh, I want to include you in something cool that I'm building. And uh, I'm going to keep talking about it. I'm going to keep teasing it. Uh, we're building a, a protocol that will help you biohack yourself, uh, optimize yourself. And in order to do that, we need uh, participants. And we've had a whole bunch of people that have already sent me their email address um, please send me your email address. You know, a long time ago, I asked uh, on the podcast if people wanted to get daily text messages from me with motivation. And uh, instead of text messaging you, um, uh, I just post those on Instagram and in Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, those are memes every single morning, every single morning, uh, and also every single night. 
as well as quotes from previous episodes. But a lot of you actually sent me your tech, your, your cell phone number. And so, uh, if those of you have sent me those in the past, if you want to be included in this beta test of this thing that we're building, that's going to be super dope. Um, please, uh, let me know, email me again and just say, yeah, here, here's, you can have my email address. You can keep my number. If, if, uh, if you enable like text messaging, just check in with me. I'd love to hear from you. That's it. Um, no more sponsorship mentions, although I'm so uh, in, uh, grateful for the sponsors for this episode, uh, for these podcasts. And um, uh, I'm just kind of rambling at this point, but I hope that uh, I hope that you use the products that uh, that sponsor this podcast because it makes it possible. Because y'all listen for y'all listen in for free, no paywalls, no uh, no like premium edition. Although I don't know, maybe that'd be cool, but. Um, Thank you for thank you for listening. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, BioCurious Kayla. Let's just dive into it. We're recording now, uh, and you know we'll just we'll just we'll just roll. You know, you're I know you're a pro as a, as a podcast host, and so um, we'll start with my first question. This is this is kind of fun and informal, which is cool. Um, my first question, which is for most of my guests that are that are really health focused, um, either in nutrition or performance, is what time is it where you are right now and what have you put in your body today? Mm, good question. What time is it? It is 12.30 in the afternoon where I am in Atlanta, Georgia. And so far, the only thing I put in my body is my mineral water and my uh, coffee with some high quality fats in it. And I've had um, some supplements and that's it. Tell us about the supplements. What's in them? So right now I'm running myself through my own uh, optimi- health optimization medicine protocol. Um, I do this for myself once a year or so. And so basically I run a full um, panel of lab tests on my gut microbiome and my nutrient status <clears throat> and uh, food sensitivities. And then from there, I develop a protocol to optimize my nutrient levels so that I have, you know, all of the cofactors and minerals and everything that's needed for the citric acid cycle to create ATP so that my body is energized. Um, so that's kind of a long preface to, uh, for me, it's always the same ones that I need that are related to stress and specifically women's health, which is... <clears throat> Iron is always one that I need, um, which is very common for females and especially female athletes. Um, I take glutathione, which is our master antioxidant. I take some zinc, which is depleted with stress. Um, Probably something that everyone can use right now in the COVID age and also, you know, specifically entrepreneurs who are running their own business and have a life also. Zinc is a good one to include. Uh, magnesium is another huge one that I always am in need of. Uh, L-theanine, um, alpha lipoic acid is another um, very powerful antioxidant. So everything that I take has to do with basically increasing my stress threshold um, and also kind of fighting off what stress depletes as far as your nutrients and um, energy metabolism. 
Yeah. So yeah. Th- this is a really a perfect, perfect place to start because, you know, for someone with a background like yours uh, and an understanding really what, what health optimization looks like and, you know, admittedly, um, uh, I just by nature, the podcast has more male guests than female guests. So it's nice to, to talk uh, to to not only a health expert, but a women's health expert and a woman who's thinking about like, what do I need, right? Because really we are all different um, and yeah. our levels of stress dictate the, the different nutrients that we need, our lifestyle, our sleep cycle, our, you know, the, the, our age, our weight, all that stuff, our metabolic flexibility. So if you would, I would love to dive granularly into kind of your standard protocol, what sort of tests specifically mm-hmm. are you getting? How do you get them? And when someone comes to you and says, Hey, I just, I just want to be better everywhere. Like I just, I want to, yeah. I want to be optimized. Um, can you just sort of walk us through, you've given us what you're taking, but can you walk us through your process a little bit? Yeah. And so, um, the way that I work, there is no standard protocol as far as what people end up taking away from what we do together. Um, because it's very bio individual and it's based on the person's lifestyle and needs and goals and everything. So, um, with that as a preface, I run a set of comprehensive labs that take a look at basically a snapshot of what's going on inside of your body and your metabolic health. So we take a look at, I run through uh, Genova diagnostics, which is the highest quality lab company, in my opinion, here in the United States. Um, their database is giant. And so it's very, very good um, references there. And so I run um, a gut analysis, GI test. I also run something that's called a NutriVal, and we take a look at all of your micro and macronutrients, um, where all your levels are um, compared to optimal functional levels. So we don't look at just like when you go to your regular doctor and you get, um, you know, a blood panel. Um, what they're looking at are whether you are normal or not normal, right? And the normal range is like massive. But Genova, what's really cool is they have functional ranges, which are very, a lot smaller. So even if you're in the normal range, but you're not really in the functional range, which is kind of the optimal range, then you still have some work to do. And so there's some places where you can balance. And then in addition to that, I always, if people haven't done it already, um, I run a food sensitivities test just because a lot of times we'll see some inflammatory markers in the gut and in the NutriVal um, that tell us that there's inflammation happening. And usually that has something to do with one of two things, stress level and also, um, well, also your gut microbiome, how well that's functioning and how diverse your um, your gut bacteria are. <clears throat> but it also has to do with your, um, your detox pathways. Um, so we take a look at that. But it has to do with how well your body is handling the food that you're eating. So a lot of food sensitivities test is not necessarily the same thing as a food allergy test. Um, however, it can pick up on that, but the food sensitivities test is telling you how well your body is reacting to these foods right now in the status that you're in. So for instance, if you come up with a food sensitivity to, um, casein protein in milk, cow's milk, then that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't ever have that food again. It means that 
your body is reacting to that food and having an inflammatory response right now. And so a lot of times, basically, when you look at what's happening in, in your metabolic function and you work on what's happening there as far as optimizing those nutrients and cofactors that you need for everything to function normally, then you can usually get rid of those food sensitivities and add those foods back in later without having an inflammatory response to it. Mm. Yeah, so those are the those are the big three tests that I run, which gives you a, a very detailed look at what a person's biochemical and neurochemical status is. Um, and it's very helpful <clears throat> to understand what's going on with somebody's metabolism, what's going on with somebody's detox pathways, neurotransmitters, gut function, inflammation, immune function, cellular respiration, and your general metabolism of your macros. Hmm. So where does the where does the neurochemical uh, data come from with, between those mm -hmm. those tests and, and how do you how do you think of that as uh, as a contributor? The, the neurochemical sort of data that we have yeah. from those tests, how does that, I mean, I mean, I know, but like, <laughs> how does, how does that play yeah. into the, to the bigger picture? Yeah. So for instance, in these tests, what we're looking at, we're not doing a direct test of your neurotransmitter levels, but the information that we're getting is going to tell us how well your neurotransmitters are functioning. So, okay. Okay, so um, when, for instance, when we're looking at a neurotransmitter like serotonin, the precursor to serotonin is L-tryptophan, and the cofactors needed to produce L-tryptophan in your body naturally, um, you can take that as a supplement, but the better way is to optimize your cofactors that lead to L-tryptophan and then to serotonin, and that's, you know, vitamin C, some B vitamins, and then folate. Um, for example, are needed for that neurotransmitter. Um, and when, when you're talking about neurotransmitter function in general, um, you can actually glean a lot of information based on a person's symptoms that they're experiencing um, that they may not really realize are symptoms. So um, mood, ir irregular mood, um, or mood dysregulation, I guess, um, Somebody's ability to self-regulate can tell you a lot about how their neurotransmitters are functioning. Um, and then, you know, there are a lot of uh, ways that you can tell by what somebody's eating. If it's affecting their um, mood or brain function, then you know that it's, it's having an effect on your neurotransmitter system. So, for instance, if you eat something heavy in sugar, a lot of people will experience brain fog because it does change your biochemistry and neurochemistry. So that's like a basic example. But when I work with folks, we kind of, we really dive deep into these different systems and how to optimize them and what that means for them um, based on what we find uh, that's like dysfunctional. Um, I put that in quotes in their system. Yeah, we don't we don't want to we don't want to make anybody feel bad for being dysfunctional, but it is it is the it is the most appropriate term. I mean, if you're no. you know, it's funny because I, I think I think a lot of people listening right yeah. now will understand by now the gut brain connection, but I think for a lot of people it's still a little obscure. And what you're suggesting is if you're if you don't have the right uh, the right cooties in your gut, it's going to affect your personality. It's going to affect the way that you self-regulate. And I know 
that that a lot of your focus is on behavior, right? A, a lot of a lot of the way that you that you work with people um, in your experience is to is to understand the connection between what's going on in your biological systems that express themselves in lifestyle or in personality or in you know sort of volatile emotional states. And what you said right there was kind of interesting to me is you said uh, uh, based on someone's ability or inability to self-regulate, there is inherently sort of a connection between into their gut health. Can we go a little bit deeper into that? Because I think that's fascinating. Yeah. So um, first of all, self-regulation is something that I study currently in my PhD program. Um, I look at um, EEG brain maps and understand how the brain is um, communicating with itself, different areas of the brain, how, how well they're communicating. Um, and this has a lot to do with somebody's neurochemical, biochemical, and lifestyle environmental status. So, for instance, an example of somebody who does not self-regulate very well would be somebody who has road rage. So somebody who is driving down the road and they get cut off and immediately their face gets red and hot, their blood pressure goes up, their respiration goes up, their anxiety goes up, and they're just immediately from zero to 60 angry, upset, you know, yelling, crying, whatever. Um, That's an example of a poor self-regulator. An example of, in that same example, somebody who does self-regulate better would have the opportunity to have the stimulus happen, which is the being cut off in traffic, and have a moment to analyze the situation and decide how they want to respond instead of react. So instead of going right into the sympathetic nervous system mode where you're getting a spike of cortisol and you're getting a spike of adrenaline and norepinephrine and you're just going straight into the mode of being overstimulated and hypervigilant. And if you look at a brain map, you would see it kind of looks chaotic, like all of the areas of the brain are are, um, not communicating very well and there's a lot of activity happening. And where it shouldn't be happening necessarily. And it's kind of like that, that, um, that uh, ancient area of the brain, the lizard brain. I'm sure a lot of your um, listeners are familiar with hearing that. Um, that's kind of activated and that controls your sympathetic nervous system and puts you into fight or flight mode. Um, but somebody who is able to self-regulate, and we can talk about ways to improve self-regulation, um, would be able to decide how they want to respond in that situation and be able to stay calm and not necessarily go right into fight or flight. Yeah, that's that that is that is cool. And 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 what I'm hearing you say is that we're sort of talking about two different ways to approach these 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 really important behavioral changes. One is to have tools, right? Like you and I know these tools, you know, you're a coach, I'm a life coach and I work with people who who have very stressful jobs, you know, that, that are like really elite sort of performers professionally. And and oftentimes those folks are fairly volatile because they're redlining, right? For sometimes decades at a time, they're not recovering effectively. And so we can we can come up with ways, whether it's a box breath or affirmations or, or, or like really technical sort of classic personal development tools to get your shit back together, to be able to refocus and to be able to like not, you know, respond versus react. <laughs> 
but you're also attacking it from um, from a biochemical perspective. Do you do you is is the is your is your neurochemical and is your gut flora is it is it a is it an imbalance in a way that that actually gives you a chance to uh, to biologically set yourself up to be able to take a breath and calm and 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 respond. Yeah, that's that I think I think that's everything. And 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 you and I have been doing yeah. this long enough that we know that it really is individual. It it you can't you can't say, "Oh, you know, men 18 yeah. to 34 are like this." You know, it's just not the case anymore. I I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on uh on on how critical uh and how important it is to individualize um, both preventative health and and um, performance optimization when it comes when it when, when you're really focusing on on person to person it seems daunting for a lot of people how how on earth will I know I'm I'm unique to me how do how will I know where do I start mm-hmm. yes in my opinion this is where our healthcare system especially in the United States but globally needs to be reformed is to focus on the individual um, you know I spent many years working for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in public health and all of our policies and all of our protocols and all of our standardized medicine which is based on you know the insurance model um, which is heavily funded by big pharma unfortunately it doesn't have the individual in mind. Um, so it doesn't have your best interest in mind. It has um, money in mind. And even, you know, CDC is inherently a very, a very good system because it, the, the aim and the initial intention is to improve the public's health. However, the problem comes in where you treat the public's health as one thing, and that's what you're treating. You're not treating the individual person who has a unique biology, a unique lifestyle, a unique set of needs, a unique status of their biochemical situation, their mental health, and a a unique status as far as like what resources they have available to them and all of these things. So working with somebody um, you know, it, it is daunting and you, you can't expect individuals to um, know everything that they need to know to be able to optimize and take control and ownership over their own health. And so that's where folks like you and I come in, where um, or, or other health optimization medicine practitioners um, in my network are very um, are very educated in this space as well. A lot of functional medicine doctors will help you with these kinds of things. And it's to, under, it's to help you understand what your status is individually and where to go from there, what actually concrete next steps to take. Um, some people already have a certain level of education about health and healthcare and what's going on with them personally, and that is really helpful. Um, however, it's really useful to work with somebody outside of yourself who can take a look um, without any bias, they don't have a horse in the race, I like to say, um, and they're, they'll be able to look and see what's happening with you and provide another perspective, which is so valuable. Um, also, I want to mention, you're talking about bio-individuality and the importance of working with your clients in this, in this capacity, right? So it's very important, something I feel very passionate about, um, to mention women's health here, 
because um, I'm a researcher. As a researcher, I understand very deeply the issue with women's health and our research status and where our health um, systems are developed based on research that is done on primarily folks who do not experience a menstrual cycle. So I mentioned this because it's very important. So women biochemically and neurochemically are essentially who experience a hormone cycle. So the ones that are still experiencing a period, um, they are essentially four different humans over the course of a 28 day ish period. Right? So that being said, as a researcher, I completely understand why you would not want this as your research subject because they're consistently changing over the course of a month. It's very hard, if not impossible to control for. That's why women of childbearing age are essentially left out of a lot of the clinical research, leaving a giant gap for women's health in our healthcare models, systems, protocols, all of this stuff. So basically all of the recommendations you see out there are essentially for everyone except those who experience a hormone cycle, right? So, you know, that's like half of the population. <laughs> So it's a huge, huge problem. And unfortunately, that's the status of where we are. Um, it's not going to be resolved anytime soon. So that being said, it's even more important for women to become their own health expert, meaning, and their own personal health expert, meaning that they need to understand where they are in their hormone cycle. There are four different phases and there are major changes that happen in a woman's body over the course of those four phases. Um, so understanding where they are, what's going on in their body, what their status is, and also what their status is in their hormone cycle in their lifetime, right? Because you don't experience a hormone cycle for the whole course of your life, it's for a period of it. Um, and then understanding what that means as far as making choices for your behaviors, for your lifestyle, and especially for behavior change, right? Um, and then I also want to mention that women, um, it, another way to think about this is women of childbearing age are similar to men, but a lot more complex because men run on a 24 hour hormone cycle that resets itself every day. Right. So, and that's mainly driven by cortisol and melatonin there, you know, there are all the other hormones as well, but those are the main drivers. Women run on that same exact hormone cycle but layered on top of it, they have this 28 day cycle that's, that's regulating throughout the month. So it makes things very complex and it's a big learning curve, but women do need to understand their bodies in this way so that they can make appropriate choices because our medical system um, is kind of letting women of childbearing age down, unfortunately. You're blowing my mind right now. Uh... You're blowing my mind. Uh, how, how is it that women of childbearing age are left out of the research? Like, are they, how, how, you got to break that down yeah. for me. It's not, so it's not fair, but it makes sense because they, as research subjects, it's too risky for women of childbearing age to be included in clinical trials. And not that they're not in there, they are included, but it's a huge gap. It's, it's, it's very, it's majority men and postmenopausal. Really? Um, yes, because 
that and also they are changing throughout the course of a month so you can't control for that right. um, so it's very difficult it's very very difficult to run research on these um, subjects because they're changing con consistently so some research you can still do it doesn't matter so much but a lot of research to really get those um, high quality data clinical data you, you just it's really difficult to run that research on women so of childbearing. so yeah. I, and 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 again this is you're shocking and blowing my mind here and and i love that when that happens uh <laughs> what we're saying what you're what you're su suggesting is is that um a woman who is either premenstrual um that may skew data to the extent that they're not included in a research study of, on x y or z right if if they are if they are on their cycle if they're having their period they are also too much of a wild card in order to be considered as consistent data for uh, participation in a study so you got it. oh my gosh i feel yeah. that's terrible that's so terrible it is terrible so it is terrible but i get it i think it's important to look at where we go from oh, here yeah. because that is where we are and so that's why I think if women could start learning, like for instance, in elementary school, women should be taught about their hormone cycle. They are not taught right. about their hormones. Even when you get into sex education, there is no discussion about a woman's hormone cycle and what that means for her body. Mm. That needs to be included in primary education. That's, I think, where we start. Um, health systems will follow down the line, but we have to start there. And even for women now who, you know, you may be listening to this and you're already in your 40s, um, maybe you're even coming to the end of your hormone cycle, but it's still really, really, really important to understand and learn this about your body so that you can make proper choices about your health. That will never happen. And I am so, I am such an optimist in, in my life and yet... I, I really don't have any trust in, in public education system to be able to like wade into those waters for many reasons. Uh, parents are going to get upset. Um, instructors for sex ed in middle school will feel uncomfortable. Like here's a condom and a banana. This is sex ed and we're done. Uh, and, and I don't know. It's been, and that's not fair because I don't, I've not, I haven't been through it, but yeah. the, there's, the the we that's well that's where you come in Kayla right is is like this this campaign to empower women's health education in in a way because that that w w you know I I have John Gray uh, men are from Mars winter are from Venus he's going to be on the podcast in fact I'm recording with him uh, it'll be after this but. Awesome. I had him on my podcast as well. He is amazing. He's amazing. And tell him I, said I will. I will for sure. Yeah. yeah I, I, I remember seeing uh, the, the the title of that book on my mom's bedside table when I was probably like 13 years old and was like, right. whoa, that's kind of weird and esoteric. Interesting title. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you're right. Like there, there needs to be, there needs to be special care increased, you know, man, we could go so many different directions, but I, you're you're doing the work, right? You're you're providing a platform. You're having these conversations to, to be considered. I had no idea that uh, women within their their hormone cycle, and which is basically like what fifteen to forty, are not being included in these research studies. 
Um, well, then it begs the question because this is a great this is a great opportunity to talk a little bit about those four cycles um, with within the twenty eight day range. Um, can you break that down for us a little bit? What are those four stages within within a, a full moon cycle? Yeah, so you have, and, and I want to mention that there is no normal. Um, a lot of women feel um, guilty or like something's wrong with them if they're not on a twenty eight day cycle. I can tell you from personal experience of working with hundreds of women, there is no woman who's on a perfect 28 day cycle, exactly the same as every other woman. Like that doesn't exist. Um, so when I say 28 day, I say 28 day ish. And really it's kind of, um, it's dependent on the woman. So some women go through a cycle that is actually like 40 days. Um, some women are closer to 20. So it depends on where you are and it's all okay wherever you are. Um, not one is better than the other. It's just more about understanding where you are in your in your cycle. So most women, unfortunately, the only education we get is you're bleeding or you're not bleeding. So like you're menstruating or you're not, right? And then um, you don't get any other education further than that, unfortunately. However, there are more phases. So there is a menstruation phase where you are actively shedding. I call that the shedding phase because not only are you shedding um, the, your uterine lining, which is the blood, right? But, and I love that we're having this conversation with a, a male biohacker. I wish that more male biohackers would uh, get this type of education um, to help their, their female uh, counterparts. But anyway, um, so there's menstruation and this is actually a good time typically. And again, every woman is different. It, they have to tap into listening to their body and understanding how they feel in each phase to really determine what to do. But this is, a, this is not really a good time for women to push um, as far as mentally, physically. They shouldn't be doing really high-intensity workouts during this time because their body is shedding. They're going through kind of like a, um, a resetting phase, um, and it takes a lot of energy to do that. This is also a good time um, for women to um, carb carbohydrate refeed. So if they're doing intermittent fasting, um, or if they're doing like a high, uh, a strict ketogenic diet, um, this is a good time for carbohydrate refeeding typically, um, for most women. And then you have your luteal phase, which is a phase when, um, your body is kind of, uh, you're, you're having like a higher energy phase during that time. Um, so it's really important for women to understand that um, while they're going through all these different phases of their hormone cycle, um, and there are ways to track it, for instance, you can use an app called um, Flow, uh, which will actually tell you which phase you're in in your hormone cycle. Um, and it will give you uh, like a little bit of a rundown of what's happening in your body. Um, but during, also just to mention during the menstruation phase, that's when all of your hormones are at its lowest point. So a lot of women um, will feel lower energy during that time period and that's normal and fine. And it's not something to really fight against. So it's not really a good time to like ramp up on coffee or take all the nootropics or work out really hard. Um, it's not, you shouldn't battle that. You should kind of lean into that. And it's a good time to like, you know, be, ha, do more restful, restorative things like take a nap, prioritize sleep. Um, just make sure that you're kind of taking care of the energy that you do have. Um, 
during the more uh, energetic phases of the hormone cycle. And I'm not going to get into the whole thing because this is very detailed. We'll be here all day. But during the other, there are, there are two phases in between where you're going to feel a little bit more energetic and your hormones are kind of on the up and up. They're like, you know, increasing. And then once you get to the ovulation phase, your hormones are at their peak phase. And that's when you're usually feeling your best. Like you have the, the most positive mood. You have a high sex drive. You're feeling really confident. Um, so I like to say that's a really good time to like do a major presentation or book a keynote or, you know, something like that. Um, I think if women learned how to harness the benefits of all the phases of their cycle and kind of plan their, their um, calendar around it, as far as like their social calendar, their work calendar, um, then the world would be such a better place, right? We could be better leaders, moms, partners, friends, um, bosses, whatever, um, if we were able to schedule our lives around our hormone cycle. So, um, you know, there's a lot more detail here and I could point everyone to, to some more uh, resources, but it's more about understanding what's happening in your body, how your hormones are changing, how your biochemistry is changing, and then kind of tapping into your superpowers, I call them, in each phase. Um, so there are different superpowers in each phase and it's really important to listen to your body. Um, but at the most basic level, the way to do this is to start tracking from menstruate the last day of your menstruation and you don't need an app or anything special to do this and just start tracking each day how you feel and you know what where your mood level is what your energy level is what your um, metabolism is like like how hungry you are or not hungry whether you're dehydrated or not and this is going to tell you about how your body functions during each phase and then you can track how many days that is until the first day of your menstruation and then how long that period of menstruation lasts and that will give you an idea of what your cycle looks like and how to interact with each phase i'm so glad that we went here uh this is i, I really am well let's let's take it a step further you know for obviously this is going to be fascinating and relevant uh, for for the women and for for the fellas, and this is more psychosocial, but it's important nonetheless. What yeah. what? And and I don't expect you can speak for every woman because everyone is different. But yeah. how how can we as men um, bring up this topic? You know, for for a yeah. for a male skewing audience like I have, we have lots of lots and lots of women, and um, and it's I. It's it's a really it's a really great balance, but for the guys mm -hmm. that are interested in this, that are either going to share this with their sister or their wife or their mother and say, hey, you know, listen to this episode I just listened to. What, how how can we as men sort of approach this topic without being offensive or presumptive or like pretending like we know things when we don't? Like, yeah. what guide guide us a little bit? That would really help. I love that question, and thank you so much for asking it. So. What I like to tell women, and I think something that you could say that would be um, not taken in the wrong way, is basically women have a superpower that the other half of the population does not have, talking about men, <laughs> um, and that is our hormone cycle. It's looked at as something that holds us back or an issue. Oh, they actually, a lot of people will refer to it as a women's health issue 
It's not an issue. It's a superpower. And um, a lot of women will experience things um, and they, they kind of chalk it all up to PMS. And they're like, oh, you know, I'm PMSing. Or um, their partner, which is so much more detrimental, their partner or father or brother may say, oh, you're just PMSing or you're moody because of your period. Well, there's nothing more detrimental that you could say to a woman than that. Um, because it's kind of putting them down for their natural biology and their rhythm and something that should be celebrated. Um, so that being said, um, kind of, you could breach the subject by being like, wow, I learned that you as a woman have these amazing superpowers because of your hormone cycle that I would be fascinated to learn more about. And I was wondering if, if you like, if you know about that. Um, and if not, like maybe we could both look at it and, and I can help you to, and support you where you need to be supported in the different phases of your cycle. I hate to jump. That would be amazing. I hate to jump in, but I would, I, we can't say that. <laughs> we, I, I, I mean, I, I, we, we, we literally cannot, I mean, like it, there's such a, there's such a great disconnect. I, I cannot yeah. imagine saying to my wife who is a powerful, powerful person, like, hey, I don't know if you knew this, but there are four phases yeah. within. Like, I, I'd like to. L- I don't think you should. Definitely don't say yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, like, can we, can we, can we reframe <laughs> it just slightly? Yeah. Because, like, here's what yeah. I learned. What do you think about it? Like, yeah. Like, I, I'm, I've just become aware of this new piece of information. I, it's yeah. fascinating yeah. to me. How can I, how can I be more supportive of you or more aware yeah. of your cycles? Because you tell me, like, yeah. are, are. Are mo are many women uh, familiar with that with the four phases and the little phases in between the four phases? I, I doubt it, right? No, they're not, unfortunately. Um, so you're exactly right. Definitely don't say I know something about your body that you don't <laughs> yeah, know. Don't like, don't say do that. that. You're gonna be sleeping on the couch yeah. if you do that. Um, but no, it's more about like, wow, I learned this amazing thing about you as a woman, and. It's also an opportunity for you to be a more supportive partner, understanding that her needs change and fluctuate throughout a month. And there is no way for you to support her properly unless you're aware of what's going on. So, you know, and it is a little bit about being intuitive, but not pointing out like, wow, you're being really moody right now. I think you're going into your menstrual phase. Um, Like, you know, that's, that's not the point. The point is to be more supportive for her if during her menstrual phase, she needs to get more rest and take naps during the day. Maybe you can take the kids more often during that period and allow her to have a little bit more space to rest and relax. And then, you know, plan a date or like a social event when she's in her ovulation phase because she's going to be feeling very social and outgoing and more like um, energetic. And so that might be really fun in a way to connect during that period of her cycle. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's really great. I, I think I, I, you know, I'm so, this is such a fascinating conversation. I really hope that people get, get as much out of this as I have, you know, don't pretend like, you know, ask lots of questions, ask how you can yeah. be helpful. Um, be aware, but don't pretend like, you know, everything. Cause you don't, <laughs> you know, um, and be open and honest, like, like bring it out into the open and, and, and have, because that, because really what we're looking for is harmony, right? And, and synergy and we are around each other a lot more, right? With all of the quarantining and lockdowns and all that stuff, like we are, we are on 
many of us are on top of each other all day, every day with the kids, right? And yeah. And to know the nuance between these different phases and for men to know their different phases because they have them too, yeah. hormones are undeniable. And they, they, they sometimes manifest things that are either surprising or, or intense or whatever, but that's just, that's just how we're built and that's okay. Right. I think a lot of us, uh, I think there's a swat, there's a wide range of people who think about, um, think about the brain, think about the mind, think about, uh, consciousness, uh, mindfulness in, in lots of different ways. And I think the, the, the waters are sort of muddy and, uh, when it comes to performance, the fact of the matter is you've got to be able to to have greater control of yourself. You've got to have greater control of of how you behave and how you think and whether or not you are a, you know, at the whim of your emotional states. So I know that you're working on sort of the distinction or the synthesis between the brain and the mind. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what you're studying right now? Yeah, absolutely. This is one of my favorite subjects of all time, and it is the um, topic of my dissertation and my PhD. So I love talking about it, uh, but I will, I will keep it very high level considering we only have so long in this conversation. But um, basically what I have deemed to be the human operating system is the brain and the mind. The brain and the mind are distinct systems in and of themselves, so they're not the same thing, though they're kind of talked about interchangeably. They are two different things. And um, so the way I like to describe this is the brain is the hardware of your human operating system. So it's the physical construct of the human operating system. And your mind is the software of your human operating system. It is the invisible part. And the two interact to basically determine how you experience the world, the human experience, essentially. So the brain and the mind, um, as I mentioned, are our human operating system and determine how we experience the world. And there are ways to optimize both of these systems. So basically, you can upgrade your human operating system as a whole. And so... What I look at in my research and also what I work with my clients on are upgrading the brain aspect, that hardware aspect in a couple of ways. So one is um, increasing and leveraging neuroplasticity and increasing and leveraging neurogenesis. And in the mind, the way to upgrade this system is to take advantage of time periods when you have increased subconscious suggestibility. So what I mean by that is if you look at clinical hypnosis, which is something that I've also studied, the way that that works is you actually put somebody into a state where their subconscious is open, essentially, where during a regular day, the subconscious is not really accessible. However, the subconscious mind is responsible for 95, if not more, percent of our behaviors where the conscious mind, the one where we're thinking and making decisions and actively choosing, um, that mind is only responsible for 5% of or less of human behaviors. 
And the, the kind of conundrum around this is that the subconscious mind, that 95% that is driving basically our lives and our perceptions and how we behave and what we think about things, that mind was developed largely between the ages of zero and seven or eight years old. And so unfortunately, there's a lot of programs that are running in that software that really don't serve us anymore. But they're really hard to get rid of um, because they're down in that pesky subconscious mind, which is hard to change and access. But you can do that by increasing suggestibility through things like um, hypnosis um, or activities that put you in a state of hypnosis um, or repetition. And that's kind of where the psychology aspect comes in as far as like psychotherapy. It's more about that repetition that helps you to change that subconscious programming. Um, and there are some ways that you can actually spark um, change in the subconscious mind using these concepts. Um, one great way that we already kind of talked about is meditation where you actually um, create space in your mind so that you can actually analyze and choose how you want to respond. And the other way is, is flipping the switch um, in perspective from, you know, potentially something that may be negative and kind of flipping it over to gratitude or um, positivity in a way where you can think about, you know, the glass half full optimism. Um, having new experiences also sparks um, increased subconscious suggestibility because your mind becomes a little more open to uh, changing the subconscious mind. Um, and when it comes to the, the brain, the hardware aspect, and I talked about neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, the ways to increase and leverage these um, systems to upgrade the brain um, are, there are many ways, but one is to increase your level of BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, um, which can actually be increased. There are some nootropics and supplements you can take that do that, but also um, by exercising is a great way to increase BDNF and fasting actually increases it as well. And this actually allows your brain to become more plastic, meaning that it can change, right? Um, whereas neurogenesis is actually growing new neurons and that actually can be sparked by um, BDNF as well, but also by um, certain cofactors needed to create new neurons like choline, which um, increases the biosynthesis of phospholipids that are needed to develop new neurons and for myelination. I, I love this because this is getting into the, the chemical explanation for our perceptions, the narratives that we tell ourselves throughout our lives, negative self-talk, you know, automatic negative thoughts, these, these things that we just sort of take for granted. And, and we've, you know, uh, we've talked about this a little bit with, uh, one of, one of my like bucket list guests was, uh, Bruce Lipton and, oh, yeah. and to have him on and to understand and, and to, to, to learn how to reprogram the subconscious mind. It is, it is a superpower. And, and one of the, oh, one yeah. of the things that, that I've noticed, and I think that you'll attest to is the people that are happiest, healthiest, most optimistic, like have a really high quality of life. Those folks are the ones who understood this stuff a long time ago and realized 
I don't have to be what my parents told me I was when I was four or five. I don't I don't have to be that embarrassing moment in seventh grade. I don't have to like identify with this, right? And and what you're doing is you're looking into um not just the the mechanisms of of of, of change, but literally like the explanation uh, neurochemically about how this is expressed, right? Right. You've got it. And Bruce is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, epigeneticists. Um, actually, I would say he's kind of the father of epigenetics as far as linking the mind and your thoughts and beliefs to your actual biology and um, what that means as, as far as making changes in your life. Yeah. You, you can tell that you're that you're interviewing a researcher when they say, oh, yes, Bruce Lipton is by is one of my favorite all-time epigeneticists. It's like, what? <laughs> Kayla, that's like... Oh, that was that was a little too. <laughs> it's Sorry, perfect. Turn the nerd dial no, down. no, it's perfect. It's totally perfect because uh, I'm with you. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Uh, arguably my most favorite epigeneticist of all time. Uh, that's, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, um, where's this, where's this research going? Like, what's the, what's the point? Is it, is it going to become a book? It's, it's your senior thesis, like online courses, like where, where do you see this going? Um, potentially all, but for right now, um, any, as anybody knows, if you've gone through the dissertation process, it is rigorous and, um, it takes up every last bit of your energy. So that's where I'm focused on now. Uh, and as I go, I am developing a book to coincide. Um, so hopefully I can publish my research and my book at the same time. And within the next um, two years is my goal. That would be amazing. Um, so potentially courses after that. Um, I actually already have a course online that teaches a lot of the foundations of this stuff. It's called Untapped Mind. Um, and so it does bring in a lot of these concepts. Um, so yeah, I, I am, uh, looking more into exactly how the brain functions and what's happening biochemically to, um, correlate with your thoughts, beliefs, emotions, and what that means in terms of epigenetics, um, and how your environment or environment interacts with these things. So, um, it's very exciting. It's such a fun area of, research and you know the brain is my favorite is my favorite research subject because it's kind of like the ocean um we've only explored and we've really only mapped out one percent of it and we really don't fully understand the brain or how it works and we definitely don't understand all the complexities of the mind and how these two systems um overlap and and interact with each other. So I'm so excited to shed more light on that and contribute to this field and the evidence base behind this work. That's so cool. Well, I'm right there with you and you've got, you've got a listener in me and you've really, you know, you've reached a bunch of people just today with, with your appearance. And, um, so before I ask the last question, which is a fill in the blank question, would you, uh, tell people where they can find you, uh, online? Yeah. So, um, my website, if you want to find out more about um, what I have going on as far as offerings, what I do, and some educational content is biocuriouskayla.com. You can connect with me directly on Instagram is the best place, um, at biocurious underscore Kayla. You can also find the podcast there at biocurious 
underscore podcast. Um, and if you direct message either of those, um, you will get a response from me or one of my interns who will also get me to respond. Um, so that, those are the best places to find and connect with me. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so here comes the the final question that I ask everybody, and, and this, this is a fill-in-the-blank question. It can be based on just about anything, and because you have such great depth of knowledge in these varying areas, um, I'm going to be interested to hear kind of where you go with this, but um, mm-hmm. feel free to elaborate as much or as little as you'd like, but please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing... Mm. Oh my gosh, I could go so many ways with this. Um, But everyone would benefit from knowing their biochemical and neurochemical status personally. And I think for women um, specifically, all women would benefit from knowing the four phases of their female hormone cycle, which again, just in uh, looking at what we talked about earlier is menstruation, follicular ovulation, and luteal phase. Um, and understanding what that means for you. And I also think, you know, men and um, whether you are a partner, a brother, a father, a coworker, a boss to any woman, um, uh, the the men listening would also benefit from learning a little bit about it, that information. So awesome. I, you certainly educated me today, Kayla, and uh, I, I'm excited to go back and, and edit this and listen to this and, and take greater notes, um, you know, men and women. Hopefully you took notes on this episode. Um, I'll definitely suggest it in the show notes because uh, this stuff just isn't, it's just not normally known and it's, and it's such critical information. So Kayla, uh, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. This was such a fun conversation and I can't wait to connect with your audience. And that is that. Awesome. This episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast is brought to you by Natural Stacks, who want to build better brains. If you have not tried the brain food lines, you are missing out. If you could take a all-natural supplement that actually helped improve your mood, either helped you become more motivated or helped you become more relaxed, you would take it. And serotonin brain food is just that. It helps you relax. It helps you look on the bright side of things. And dopamine brain food helps you kind of get up and go. The other two brain food lines are GABA and acetylcholine brain foods, and uh, they're amazing. They're amazing supplements. They're amazing products. Um, if you haven't tried them, go to naturalstacks.com and use the code OPP for twenty percent off. Oh, I'm sorry, OPP twenty for twenty percent off. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the internet. <laughs>